Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. First and foremost, I'm a worshiper. We all are, and I know I am. First and foremost, I'm a worshiper. Before I'm a preacher, before I'm a husband, before I'm anything, I'm a worshiper of God. We can only be those other things. But subjectively here today, I'm a worshiper. I love to worship. It's in those moments that God transcends our cerebral or, cerebral or cognitive capacities to, to somehow find Him. I love that dynamic. I love the Word of God. I love breaking it down. I love looking at it closely and allowing God to whisper across the corridors of time and space and eternity in small things into our heart and to think that He would whisper in the heart of one person at one moment time and space nothing I never lose the fascination or all of that I've got a great sermon for you you need to hear I actually have two I'm going to tell you what the one is for next week except this week's will now be next week and then it's when the buyer becomes the bot and the seller becomes the sold is next week but it'll be moved out two weeks because here's what's happening here this morning I love it when God does drive-bys and happened with great is thy faithfulness oh God my father happened right there let me tell you this song says you are God God of all creation the earth groans and longs to be with you but that is not the only thing that that song says And that's not the only thing that Scripture says. As a matter of fact, the song, the Scripture from where that song is written is Romans 8. We glanced at it on Wednesday night with our student ministries. And what a precious time of worship with our student ministries, teenagers. And I said, guys, do we, every week I'll ask them, do you even know what we're singing about? Just sit down for a moment, just for a moment, okay? Because we're going to get right back up and sing this song. Don't anybody go anywhere back there. Uh, Romans chapter 8, Gabe, you don't have that verse of scripture. It starts at verse 16, but I think you have to get to verse 23, where it talks about, it's a snapshot of everything that's happened in the Bible. It certainly is Romans 5 is a snapshot of the entirety of scripture in terms of what Jesus did in coming. Romans 5 is a whole Bible, one chapter snapshot of everything that happened with regard to to Jesus coming and what he did to fix what was broken. Romans 8, the second part of it, is a snapshot, 16 through, I think the last verse is 39. 16 through 39 is a snapshot of what's going on here and now. And it says, creation groans for the longing, the longing for the coming of the fullness of the sons of God. What that refers to, beloved, is the end of the age. That is, When we see Jesus face to face, when Jesus returns, and he will at some point in time, whatever else you may or may not believe about that, he is coming back to this planet. And when he does, things will be set in order and set in motion. By the way, uh, heaven on earth, this will be that, whatever we think of heaven. I I really need to do a series on that at some point, on heaven and hell. We assume that we have an understanding of that, and both of those things are just really, I think, massively misunderstood. But at the end of it all, 
when we are with him face to face, this, this place will be sort of put back the way he intended from the beginning. You read it from the prophets. You, you read it in the New Testament. It says, you know, that seasons will go away. Trees will bear fruit just all the time, you know. It's going to be crazy. A lot of people are, I think we don't talk about heaven because we think it's going to be boring. You know, we all just sort of float around on clouds or whatever those pictures are. Uh, no, no, we'll be busy. We will have purpose. Look this way. If God created in the beginning with a sense of fullness of purpose and intentionality, and when he finished, read Genesis 1 and 2, on each of those seven days, six of them, he said, that's good. Now, how many know it's pretty important when God says, I did good? That there was not a longing for a sense of purpose. As a matter of fact, everyone listen to the preacher here. What happened, you've heard me say this, in the first three chapters, first two, there's creation, then begin, things begin to crumble. Number one, God's word in chapter three is reduced to just another opinion. I want to say it again. That's where deception always starts because three things happen. You hear me talk about them all the time. Deception, fear, and hiding. As a matter of fact, I could have probably said the first word and, and you could have finished that. Okay, that Those three things happen all the time. And they're the, they're the problems from, for humanity. God's word is reduced to just another opinion. And here's another thing. He convinces mankind that they are able to have a sense of purpose without a relationship with the purpose giver. Now, the most current adaptation of that you see in culture. See, culture, government, politics. They, they try to fix mankind. That is, they try to live redemptively. Did you know that? That, that we, we get in battles about politics, but genuinely, there's, there's usually at least two expressions of, some, uh, of governing philosophy that we wage war about every two or four years. And each side is convinced that they have the best plan for mankind that makes up the United States of America. They're trying to bring out the best possibility. Do you understand by any other definition that word is to redeem? To bring out the full value of a thing. But here's the problem. The problem with mankind is what started in the garden. We are convinced that we can live redemptively without a relationship with the Redeemer. That we can do redemption without a Redeemer. And we can't. And that is the ultimate frustration. What happened at the crash of everything, Romans 8.16 says, The earth begins to groan. Part of the groaning we just saw hit the coast over here. I don't know about you, and I don't attribute everything to, I don't over-assign stuff. But when there's a Category 5, once in a, a Category 4, teetering on the edge of 5, projected to be the uh, storm of a lifetime, if you will, and it comes and all of a sudden, within hours, it just drops down to a Category 2 and then 1, um, no one will convince me that these things that I've seen throughout my lifetime, that somewhere there's not prayer and there's not God involved. And I, I just, amen. You can just say amen right there. That's a good thing. Okay, so, but the earth groans. There's stuff that happens. The plants, they grow, they bear fruit, they die, essentially. They wither, leaves fall off, and, and then they go through this groaning cycle. That's what the seasons are. But it says the earth groans for the longing, longing for the coming of the fullness of the sons of God. That means when we see him face to face, the earth doesn't groan anymore. How many be relieved about that? I will miss the snow. I can preach about that. 
The only thing about the coming of the fullness of the sons of God, you see, the season started, and my good friend Don Mondello has reminded me he's longing for the return of Jesus Christ because there's no more snow. I think that statement is entirely evil, personally. But, but it says the earth it groans, and it says not only that, but we groan. How many know we groan in this world? But there's something that goes on in that chapter. Because you go on down to verses 26 and 27 and it says, In the midst of your groaning, you need to know that you don't groan alone. It says, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit groans with us. And He groans through us. So when we don't know how to pray in the midst of our deepest groanings, and then we say, well, what are those situations? See, we hit the word things. You've heard me talk about it. Romans 8, 28. Watch the language. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Anybody hear the language of the Garden of Eden? Causes them to work together for the reason he created them to work. God causes them to work for our good and what else? His purpose to those that are called. Causes all things. Would everybody say things? If I'm not mistaken, seven more times the word things is used, but there's a list of 10 or 15. The one list are things, is things in this world. Listen, it says nakedness, peril, famine, distress, sword, death. Verses later, it says height. They're abstract. It says height, depth, principalities, things present things to come. It says, what thing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And he rises up. See, I've, I've, I've told you about this, but there's somebody here this morning that needs to be reminded that God made a statement when the lamb entered the heaven. Now, pay, pay attention. And I'm going to give you sort of a, a theological Alka-Seltzer tablet here, which means you need to take it home and drop it in water. All right. When mankind crashed and burned, when God's purpose and a relationship with the purpose giver was subverted, it said he sent them out of the garden, out of his presence, and he posted at the east of Eden seraphim, these huge angels that are described with swords ablaze. You see the seraphim? In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, when he had a vision of the throne of God. Now, see, these seraphim at the east of Eden, listen closely, they were these sort of divine gatekeepers. They made sure that mankind didn't get back to the tree of life because they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because the tree of life had the capacity to suddenly make in perpetuity, in other words, to, to, to sustain whatever state that individual may be in to partake of it. So they were in a sin state, a death state, if you will. And God said, I'm not going to, I'm not, you've already made one bad choice. I'm not going to allow it to be followed up by another. And what happened? Great God, great in his mercy, mercy, remember, watch, being God's opinion, refusing to accept my opinion of me above his opinion of me. You see, actually, the second place in Scripture that these seraphim are seen is when they made the thing called the Ark of the Covenant and they placed it in a place in the tabernacle and then in the temple called the Holy of Holies where the high priest got to go in once a year. And this Ark of the Covenant had just wonderful things contained in it. But in the center of this box was called the mercy seat. And guess what was hammered and fashioned on the end of the mercy seat 
were an image of these seraphim standing with swords ablaze. The same principle is true. God says, I, these angels are actually purveyors of mercy. They will make sure that you can't get through to something that will kill you or put you in an eternal state of separateness. Listen to me. I know I'm covering a lot of scripture. Just hang with me. Then Isaiah the prophet has a vision or either he goes into the presence of the Lord and he sees God in his presence. And what happens? It said there's these, I wish I had the ability to to create a visual for you. I say it every time because they're not like standing guard around the throne because in Isaiah six and in Revelation chapters four and five, this throne isn't sitting on anything. It is just there hovering. And it says these seraphim, these incredible creatures, are swirling around it, over and under, around. And they're still saying the same thing. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah would say, oh crud, I'm going to die because I'm a man of unclean lips. And it said this. It said, one flew out, touched my lips. And watch this. The only place in the Old Testament says you are atoned. Tempor- He's the only one that got the temporary atonement ticket. <laughs> Then you fast forward to a very similar vision that John sees. Watch. John in the book of Revelation sees a similar vision, or either he's transported there. We don't know. Endless argument. Watch, watch, watch. But it is after Jesus died on the cross. Remember, we've been studying on this forgiveness series, and we're going to continue to, that Jesus was the payment for me to get back to God. That's why I won't make anybody else pay. Because out of the richness of that payment... I have a wealth of life and love and forgiveness. We're going to get back to that. We have to. But in Revelation 4, it's very different because in the opening part of the chapter, he says, I saw the seraphim. And he says, they're still saying the same thing they were saying in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They have not ceased to say that. But, you know, they do quit saying that. Go read your Bibles. At the end of chapter 5, the song is now worthy art thou. To receive glory and honor and power. Pay attention here. Pay attention. I'm sorry I'm throwing so much at you. But we're going to get back to this groaning thing. And we're going to pray for people. Maybe only one person in this place. But you don't hear them saying holy, holy, holy anymore. Not another time in the book of Revelation. You hear the host of heaven saying. Worthy art thou to receive glory and honor and power and blessing. And it says. And the living creature said, Amen. Why? Because if you write back up and read, it says he saw the throne, the elders, the seraphim around it, and just outside that were even the elders around the throne of God. But there were the seraphim in between. It said, but then I began to weep as I saw the slain lamb of God, the lion of Judah, as he entered And he steps in between the elders. And then he steps past the seraphim. And he takes the will of God out of the hand of God. The scroll of God. And now that book that was in the hand of God becomes the Lamb's book. And I wish I had time to talk to you about the difference. Just take my word for it. The difference between it when it was in the hand of the Father and when it becomes the Lamb's book. Turn to the end of the chapter. Guess what happens in the Lamb's book. Once that book becomes the Lamb's book... It says, I looked and I saw names in the Lamb's book. Yeah, my name's there. My name's there. It says he steps in between 
You never hear from them again except they start saying amen because now he stepped in. And John says, you worthy, thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power. And a few things now, I wish I had more time to talk to you about that. Everyone look at me here. You're going to get a free more Bible lesson than you need. You're going to have to go home and play the, uh, the, the podcast. I get them. This will be another indictment of Pastor Tom saying way too much on one sermon. I get that. Indulge me. I need to say it more than you need to hear it. Revelation 4.11 says, thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you created everything. Chapter 5, verse 9 says, you're worthy to receive praise because you purchased men from every tribe and tongue and nation. Everyone look at me. You're worthy to receive it, Father, because you created it and know what it's worth. I'm giving you the two hot sides of the coin of worship right here. Lord, you're worthy to receive my worship because you created everything and you know what it's worth. So I bring you my whole life and I throw it across on the scale of worship. That's what the word worth means. And I ask you to weigh it. I ask you to tell me, weigh my attitude, weigh my life, weigh how I spend my money, weigh my words, weigh my attitude towards my husband or my wife or my kids or a person of another color. Weigh my attitude about forgiveness or unforgiveness. Weigh it, Father. And if it doesn't weigh, if it is not worth anything, then burn it up and don't hand it back to me. See, but the second time it's used, only verses apart, it says, but you're also worthy to be paid because you purchase it. You want me to tell you two sides of that coin? Lord, you're worthy because you know what everything's worth. But even after you gave us everything in the Garden of Eden and we sold it for nothing. You came and on the cross and you bought back what you made and gave to us. Nobody asked you. Isaiah says, nobody asked me to buy you back. You created it, made it, and said what it's worth, and we gave it away for a nickel. And you came and bought it back for what it was truly worth. So I'm going to praise you, Father, because you know what everything was worth. And even when I give it away, when you give it to me by the blood of the Lamb, you'll come back and buy it again and again and again and again and say, here, take another try. Here, take another try. Anybody here besides me excited about that? Hold on. At the end of another week where I'm going to say something, think something stupid, do something wrong, just whatever it may be and say, oh man, I missed the worth of it again. Lord, one more time. And he says, all right, my blood covers that. Come here and just confess and I'll cleanse you from, cleanse you from unrighteousness. Here, have another try. As a matter of fact, when Peter asked the question, how many tries do we get? Seven? He goes, no, you get a million times seven. Again, anybody here, anybody here glad just about last week because if you'd have come in here today and God would have said let me just weigh you on the basis of how you did this week you said oh man I am been weighed and found wanting but here's what happens the lamb steps up and it's my belief that the angels sit down because nothing 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 back to Romans eight thirty-eight. we groan God, what can separate me? He says, not height, nor depth, principalities or powers. Not even the angels that I created and put in between us. They're not there. Johnny, does that get you like it gets me? Not, not even that. Why? Because I'm right there groaning with you. Now, I've given you a, a way bigger theology than you needed today. I get that. I, I get that. But with the last three or four years, I've been really acting with great restraint. Every now and then, 
the immensity and mystery and magic of it all just swallows me whole. About the time I'm groaning and see things on the world around me, Lord, we just live in a groaning world, and I groan, and things that make me groan, disappointments with people, problems with children and loved ones and stuff and life and expectations and prayers I've prayed that aren't answered soon enough or aren't answered the way that I want. And Lord, there's this groaning, and that's groaning, and, he, and it's as if the Father leans forward and says, I want you to know. As long as you're in this age, there isn't the coming of the fullness of it all, but that is coming. But until then, I want you to know that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Watch. And he says, I want you to know that as you look and everything's around you is groaning and you're groaning. He said, I want you to know I step right in there with you and I'm groaning right with you. I'm walking with you. I want you to know that was not my plan. The way it is right now was not my plan. But until we get back there, I want you to know I'm taking every step with you. What do we do then? You are God. God of all creation. The earth groans. And longs to be with you. For it to all come to an end. But where we are. Our hearts are raised to heaven. We breathe. So I just want to ask this. See, it started back a little while ago. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning in the Thou changest not thy compassion Oh, it fails not As thou hast been You are God. Just sing that lightly in the background. I want to ask who's here this morning. This has been a week for me. Things I've been praying about, things I've been wrestling with. Nothing less than groaning and saying, Father, I desperately need to see resolution. I desperately need to have a sense of your presence walking ever so closely. So I'm going to ask you. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. I'm the first one to raise my hand, all right? I just want you to stand up. Say, I need to know when I'm lifting this hand that there's still one reaching back. In the midst of the things that I'm groaning about, let me know today one more time that I don't groan alone until the groaning is resolved. Go ahead. Hearts are raised to heaven. We don't groan alone, Father. I praise you and I bless the name of the Lord. 
Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.